Welcome to Fear and Hope, with me, your host, Nick Bloy. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Ben Shannon, who is an architect and the head of well-being at SL Architecture. He's also an author, having written the book Happy by Design and a TEDx speaker, and of course, a mental health well-being advocate. As part of his role at Cell Architecture, he heads up the practices research into the area of mental health and advises all teams on how to design healthier and essentially happier buildings for all of us to benefit from. More recently, he's qualified as a well-accredited professional, broadening his knowledge to encompass design for physical well-being uh, in addition to, to mental well-being. And he now sits on the Well-Mind Advisory Panel using his expertise to raise the bar for healthy buildings worldwide. And just a few years ago, back in 2017, Ben co-founded the Architects Mental Wellbeing Forum, uh, which is focused on improving mental health within the the architecture industry. So welcome, Ben, to um, this latest podcast of Fear and Hope. Really pleased you could uh, could join me. Oh, Nick, yeah, thanks very much for having me. And... I've been really wanting to put this together, actually, but for the main reason being, I think, given we're in lockdown, we are spending a lot more time in our home. And I thought, who better to ask than someone who is intimately related with, with buildings and the impact that it has on our mental health than, than you, um, the head of wellbeing at SL Architecture. So, look, um, I think this could be a really interesting conversation for people. Um, I think we they'll be in for hopefully some some lessons, lessons learned and things that they can proactively do themselves to, to hopefully make a positive impact to their mental health while they're in lockdown, especially as they're spending more time at home. But look, I'm just thinking back to how we met. I can't remember how many years ago now. It was probably like, probably three, four years ago now. Yeah, I think about that, yeah. And I was um, randomly running a, a bit of a panel session. You're in the audience and I think you're, you're now more, much more attuned to being on the panel sessions yourself and, <laughs> and your TED Talk. Um, and you know, generally speaking about this stuff, with obviously a lot of passion as well. And I remember that was one thing that really caught my attention when we first met was really your passion for for the topic of well-being. So, do you want to tell me a little bit more about how you got into being where you are today? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, uh, I'm an architect by trade, um, and I never really had any background in this subject. Was never um, sort of particularly really even that aware of the the subject of mental health it was not something that had kind of personally touched my life um until probably like my mid to late 20s so i was probably about 26 27 i'd say and i basically just completely burned myself out massively overdid it um ended up going to see my gp um not really thinking i had a problem with my mental health actually it was more like recurring physical health problems um, and luckily she kind of spotted the signs and symptoms and realized there was something, you know, a bit more deep, a bit deeper going on there. Um, and basically started asking me questions about my mental health and kind of came to the conclusion that I was suffering quite badly with, uh, with some anxiety issues. Um, and so, uh, kind of, yeah, was quite stunned by that diagnosis, quite surprised, but, um, went for some counseling, some therapy and, um, kind of off the back of that really had, uh, a relatively well I don't know whether it's a quick or slow journey but certainly a couple of years of kind of trying to get over those problems deal with those problems and really learn how to change the way I was living my life I suppose look at what look really really step back and assess the way I was living my life um, 
and I realized that I was, you know, a massive perfectionist. I was really, I was kind of obsessed with getting everything right, doing the best possible job I could always do. Um, and, you know, even at the expense of my physical and mental health, and I was, I was working really stupid hours to, to, to hit those kind of almost, I suppose when you're aiming for, for perfection, they become unachievable goals. And so, um, yeah, that really made me step back and reassess. And, and then off the back of that, I became very interested in the area of mental health. So began reading about it a lot. And that's where that, that passion you spoke about really kind of came from my own personal journey, um, as well as um, someone else in my family kind of went through some problems with their mental health as well. So um, became very personal for me. And I started trying to feed it into my architecture, really. And I was designing homes for people every single day and wanted to understand the actual psychological impacts that those homes were having on people and my design decisions, I, I started to realize, you know, we're having, we're having a big impact on, on the way that people felt within spaces. And so that led me to, to do more and more research in that area, um, which led to my book, Happy by Design. Um, and, and that really was just me, I think, trying to understand all of the different ways in which buildings affect our, our mental health. And we, we know now that they really do in, in a huge way. Yeah. It's, it's, I was just listening to your story actually and just going, <laughs> there's some similarity with my own experience there um, yeah. I suspect probably other many other people will relate with that maybe some who who are still in the midst of it as well and I'm glad you had a better doctor than I did at the time because I remember you know it took me about 18 months to get a, a diagnosis um, of kind of anxiety um, had probably ha having suffered for probably most of my life actually um, mm. and it's just interesting to, to see the very different approach that they took mine literally said this is what's happening. You just need to get over it. Uh, wow. Yeah. 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 And thankfully, I think my, my stories are in the minority uh, and yours are the majority. Otherwise I'd really feel for everyone else that out there who, who does struggle with this stuff. Well, I would say even in the, God, how long ago was that now? Maybe six or seven years ago, even in the six or seven years since that happened, um, I think mindsets changed as well of the general public and, and, you know, people, are a lot more comfortable talking about mental health um, than, than they were even, you know, those six or seven years ago. And I, I think people's understanding of it is much better. People are more literate in, about, about the problems. So we're moving in the right direction, I'd say. Yeah, and I completely echo that as well, which is such a positive thing. So I think the more we can talk about it, the, more, the less people need to, to suffer in silence. Yeah. So what, I guess, what's... What's one thing that you, you love about the job that you do now? Well, I think for me, it's that um, I suppose that it, I'm able to go in and do something every day that I'm really passionate about. And I was, I was already passionate about designing buildings, but you know, really now having that personal connection to, to mental health and well-being, I get to go in every day now and, well, working from home at the moment, but um, pre-COVID, go in every single day and um, look, at, look at other other teams designs review people's work and and kind of sit down with teams and help them to get a better understanding of right what is this project what is this design going to do for people's mental health and also now i've you know expanded that to get an understanding of how buildings affect people's physical health too so um that can be everything from the, the materials we specify to um you know the kind of the layout of apartments ceiling heights all these kind of things which we know have an impact um on, on physical and mental health um so I suppose for me, it's that joy comes from knowing I'm, I'm making a difference to people who are 
going to use those buildings um, when, when they're completed. Mm. And yeah, working on something that I, I do really feel strongly about. Phenomenal. And I know, you know, again, from the people that I work with, but also myself, like having that, that, that drive and that sense of meaning from the stuff that we do is, is such a potent antidote to mental ill health. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if you heard of that Japanese word, uh, ikigai, I think it is. Yes. Yeah, the idea that you're doing something which kind of has value, has purpose, has meaning, and which you enjoy doing. And, and if, if you can find that sweet spot where you're, you're adding value to people's lives and to projects and to businesses, but also, you know, getting that own, your personal satisfaction from it, I, I think that really is a recipe for, um, or you're, you're certainly well on the way to happiness, to, even if it's not a guarantee of happiness. <laughs> yeah love it love the concept and yeah thank you for bringing that up as well i think again the, the more we talk about this stuff and get people to just even think about okay well how is it that i can add value um, back and what does that give me back in return i'm just thinking you know we're coming back off the back of mental health awareness week in the uk which is all about kindness and you know the really positive ripple effect that has not just for other people but for us in terms of how it makes us feel so yeah um so just thinking, I guess, thinking about lockdown and thinking, you know, about our house uh, or our apartment or where it, wherever, wherever it is that we call home, it's now pretty much the central character in our lives. You know, from, from being a place of nighttime slumber and maybe weekend leisure, it's now become our work, our home, our gym. Um, how significant effect does, you know, does our home environment have on our well-being? Well, we know... As, as, as I mentioned uh, in kind of telling my backstory, we know now that the the built environment has a huge impact on us, wherever that might be. So pre-lockdown, if we were spending half our time at home, half our time in the office, we know that both those environments are are definitely having an impact on us. Um, all kinds of different aspects of the, of the design do affect us. And psychologically, they can affect our behavior as well as our mood. Um, but you're right, like now we're pretty much constrained to one location, which brings with it its own kind of uh, complications and problems. So we don't have that change of scenery. We don't have that separation of function between, um, you know, having a, um, a, work, a place of work and a place of relaxation. So the two can very easily become blurred. And that's a big problem that we are, we're already seeing is people finding it very hard to switch off at the end of the day, people finding it hard to, to get out of that work mindset because fundamentally everything is is happening in one place but I, I think it is worth saying that you know even um outside of lockdown hopefully within the next couple of months we do move back to something a little bit more normal people returning to work shops reopening um but even even pre-lockdown we were spending 90 percent of our time inside buildings so um you know we, we we kind of probably look at our situation at the moment and think god it's awful we're spending so much time inside but actually we weren't spending a lot more time outside pre-lockdown anyway um yeah um, but but in terms of how our homes are affecting us now we we actually at, at a sale um did it did a bit of research um in the first month or so of lockdown and kind of just asked people about how their homes were working for them what they were enjoying about their homes what what they were finding frustrating and challenging to be honest there weren't any massive surprises to anyone who's read my book um it was quite quite nice to know that i certainly um <laughs> kind of picked out some of the key points but um things like um daylight actually were shown to be one of the, the most important things to people so actually um you know I, i'm always harping on about the importance of getting natural light into spaces and i'm sure 
Um, most architects are, are always championing that. But um, for the sake of our mental health, it's, it's really, really important. You know, it affects things like serotonin and our melatonin, and, and it can have a big impact on our sleep cycles. Um, but it was really interesting to see that people, um, you know, even non-architects, non-designers, valued light as being very very important in their homes they saw it as a, a re- something that really created like joy was uplifting in their homes so that's um that was that was great to see but then there's the kind of perhaps more obvious ones like um outdoor space was something that people we found was really important to people and um if if people don't have outdoor space then um we, we tended to see a kind of correlation there with people finding things more difficult mm. um and similarly, undersized homes, you know, we, we do unfortunately have a bit of a track record in the UK of, of having some of the smallest homes in Europe. Um, and for me, I think it comes back to livability. We, we Small homes are OK um, in if, if they're designed well, um, if they're, you know, inhabited by the right number of people. The problems start to occur when we get um, small homes that aren't designed to be particularly livable. So they don't have enough storage. They don't have enough kitchen space. Um, or you know something that sadly we are seeing in in the UK now more and more is um, homes being over occupied so you know more more people staying in a home than it was originally designed for and obviously that brings with it a whole range of complications um, and and makes it a more challenging environment for everybody to live in. Yeah I'm just thinking about our flat in London actually and I mean if it was originally designed as a three-bed flat I mean there's no way it should ever have been a three-bed flat but we we made sure it was because it was a new build we uh we made sure it was two bed rather than a three and yeah. that definitely made it much more suitable for yeah. you know our, our, our needs but also you know if we have people over we could only really accommodate an extra you know couple of people not an extra three or four so um, yeah. uh, again you know, i think it's, it resonates so well and i'm sure many people whether or not you know they're in a, in a small confined space or you know have the luxury of a garden that they'll know the stuff that from what you've just talked about the stuff that resonates most for them as well i think the important thing to say as well is that you know there are things that we can all do to make our home our home environments better um and i suppose that's that's something that maybe people out there will find valuable is you know those those tips and ideas for what we can do so um even if you don't have an outdoor space we know that kind of any interaction with nature is really really good for our mental health so um that's this theory called biophilia which is basically that we as humans we evolved as a as a part of nature um although it may not feel like it for a lot of us who live in um dense urban areas now but you know we we have evolved as a part of nature so that we we have an an inherent kind of affiliation and, and love for nature so even just by bringing plants indoors having you know having greenery in your in your indoor space um the impacts that that's been shown to have on people can be huge you know all kinds of stuff from improving people's memory recall to improving overall happiness and mood and um so it's definitely worth just a small thing anyone can do is go out and and do get yourself some plants for your for your home or your apartment if you don't have many already um and that can make a big difference even just a few small potted plants um and obviously talked about the light thing so there's quite a lot you can do there i mean it sounds so obvious but um you know even just get making sure you do open the curtains first thing in the morning um i know I, even I've, I've been guilty of it and even despite knowing all this stuff you find you sort of oh it's 11 30 and i still haven't drawn the curtains because you just sit down straight at your computer and crack on with work so get those curtains open make sure that your windows aren't obstructed with loads of tat 
Um, and even if you've got big plants outside, I've just said plants are really good for you. But um, if, if you've got trees and leaves and branches that are blocking all your daylight from coming in, that's actually going to have a really negative impact on the space. So it's worth just considering pruning those back a little bit, get those, get those um, curtains open. And if you can actually rearrange your furniture, so because our, at the moment our homes are working in a very different way to how we probably all set them up when we moved in. So, you know, we, we moved into our homes and we thought, right, this is a relaxation space. This is a sleeping space. This is a cooking space. But now we've got all kinds of other functions. You know, one space might now be a childcare space, might be a workspace, whatever it is. And so actually just I think people need to step back and reassess their home and just think, can I shift things around? Maybe I need to put that desk next to that window so that every day I'm, you know, if I'm spending eight or nine hours a day sat at that desk, I want that to actually take pride of place. I want that to have the best position with the best view and the most daylight. Um, so we just need to, I think, re have a bit of a reassess. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that idea as well. Just not just assuming, well, that table's been there forever, so I should just leave it there. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I obviously talked about this issue that we're having at the moment where I think a lot of us are starting to feel um, things are kind of quite stale. There's a sense of a Groundhog Day, isn't there, where every day is almost the same again and again because we're stuck in that one space. So having, you know, a bit of a reshuffle, moving things around, you can actually get that feeling of your bit, you're in a different space just by simply swapping a couple of pieces of furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's often happened to my wife because she just kind of moves things around and I'm like, where did that go? And the whole space has changed. Um, so yeah, different, 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 different story altogether there. So we won't go into <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. And I also really like the thing that you mentioned actually quite a lot earlier on uh, towards the beginning, actually talking about, you know, when we're at home, um, people are really struggling with that differentiation between work and home life and yeah. almost creating those set places where you do do work. So your brain has this, this, this chance to switch off. Can you say anything more about that? Yeah, definitely. I think it's quite important to try to, if you can make a physical change um, when it gets to, you know, five thirty, six o'clock, whenever you're, you're signing off uh, from work. So um, for me, I've got all my work stuff set up on a big tray. Um, so I've got laptop and, you know, all my kind of pens and stuff on this big tray. And at the end of the day, I just physically shut my laptop and I actually slide it under the sofa just so it's gone. The surface is clear and it's like, it's just that kind of, it, it's, it's like laying down a marker, a psychological thing of, okay, the workday is over. This is no longer a workspace. It's now a home space. And there's lots of different things you can do, whether it's, you know, um, even just things like putting on different type of music or, um, you know, lighting candles, whatever it might be, just to make that space suddenly feel a bit different and feel like a relaxation space. Um, it's, it's really important. I think people probably underestimate the, the impact of kind of those, those kind of the physical environment on on our mood and and on our behavior so making those small changes can have a big difference yeah no i'm just thinking back as well to, to our experience i think we really struggled at the beginning when lock, with lockdown you could only go out once a day for exercise yeah and i think before lockdown was formally announced we were already working from home and we got into this great routine of you know going for a walk in the morning yeah. breakfast, then setting up workstation and then having that kind of break at lunch but also break in the evening so you're almost segmenting the day and having those clear and when but they locked it down it became quite tough but obviously that's now being relaxed again and yeah interestingly for me i assumed probably wrongly that when we went into lockdown everyone would would be so glad they don't have their commute anymore but the number of people i've spoken to who said actually you know what my commute served a really nice purpose for me mm. it was a chance for me to maybe put some music on read a book just 
go into my own world where I didn't have to talk to clients and I had didn't have the mad rush of like getting home and family life yet. Um, so it's it actually offered a nice way of people breaking up the day. And during the hard part of lockdown, we really lost that. So now at least we have that opportunity again where um, so my fiance and I have been going out for the cycle in the evenings. We'll, we'll tend to do uh, maybe a quick walk in the morning or, or a workout in the morning and then go for a cycle in the evening. And it, you're right. It just helps. It's almost like um, a simulated um, sort of journey to work as it were. And, and it kind of just helps to, to break that day up into different chunks. I used to, I remember when I was, before I did what I do now, but um, I used to live south of the river and work north of the river. And it, when I cycle, I used to cycle in and out of work and it was literally that feeling of cycling over the bridge and going, cool, work, that's it, work is yeah. for another day. Absolutely. So yeah, I like, love those ideas. So that's, uh, thank you so much for sharing. I'm sure people will find that really, really helpful as well. Just okay. circling back as well, because I think I just want to touch on something that you talked about at the beginning when you're talking about your passion for this stuff and, you know, the fact that it's not just about, you know, the physical things, it's also about, well, let's talk about the physical thing, like the actual structures. It's also about the materials that we use. Um, anything there that you can comment on that might be helpful for us while we're at home thinking about shifting some of that stuff, stuff up to help us? Yeah, well, uh, um, I think one of the things, we're talking more about physical health here, but something that people really aren't that aware of is um, actually indoor air quality. And we've obviously read a lot in the press since lockdown about outdoor air quality is getting better, less cars on the road, which is all fantastic. A long may that continue because... Um, I think actually air pollution causes close to globally causes nearly 5 million deaths a year. So um, it makes COVID look pretty, you know, pretty insignificant when you start looking at those sort of figures. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th I think we, we need to switch on to the idea that our indoor air quality is really important as well, particularly as, you know, I said, we, we spend uh, about 90% of our time indoors, even during normal life. So um, things we can do for that, I mean, I know at the moment, obviously all the big stores are reopening, like B&Q and Homebase, all of those kind of um, stores. But actually, if, if people are going to go and get new things for their home, whether it's, you know, new curtains or new furniture or new flooring, tiling, whatever it might be, I, I would really encourage people to take a bit of a deeper look at what they're buying and, and actually if they can find out what's in those products, because uh, most of us aren't really aware, and I, I wasn't aware until a few years ago, but every piece of furniture we buy it will do something called off-gassing where it releases a lot of harmful chemicals, things like formaldehyde um, into the air, which is really, really bad for our health. Um, and, you know, so it's worth having a look at those and just making sure that, um, that you are buying things that are actually not going to make your the indoor air quality worse in your home. Um, but in terms of, in terms of mental health, um, I, I mentioned the light. What, what I've been encouraging lots of people to do is take this as an opportunity to maybe get, you know, get some paint out and brighten up a lot of dark spaces. Um, I know a lot of people kind of tend to you move into a house and think, oh, yeah, one day I'll paint this all white. And, it, you know, but now is your opportunity to do that. Um, a feature wall with some colour can be great. But generally, I tend to encourage people to paint kind of three of the four walls in a room in a, in a nice white, bright colour because it can just increase the, the levels of light in a room so, so much. Um, so that's a, a really good thing that um, everybody can do as well. You need to be mindful of paint content as well with that though? Absolutely, yeah. Paint is um, a big uh, emitter of VOCs and we've all smelled that kind of that paint smell of uh, when you move into a new flat or when you've repainted. But yeah, what a lot of people don't realise is that a lot of those fumes you're breathing in can be pretty harmful for you. Um, unfortunately, you do still have to look relatively hard to try and find healthier things like healthier paints, healthier rugs. Um, but 
you know they're out there now they are available there's lots of organic products and lots of um lots of things that are much healthier for us cool so just i guess keep an eye out for that is there anything specific we can look for or is it sometimes just about um it's yeah I, I mean just i would say just basically go in do your research and look at if, if you are thinking of buying say you, you're thinking you're repainting just go out there and do some searches for healthy paints and paints that are actually going to you know um there's there's lots of new product ranges there's lots of companies out there that are really um pushing this which is great and i'm sure in 10 years time we're going to have a huge huge range of like healthy products that are that, guaranteeing um better air quality but right now you just need to dig a little bit deeper but they are out there cool amazing well so many really interesting insightful um bits of knowledge but also tips of course of how people can almost better you know change up their home to to be healthier and happier um which is fantastic and again you know loved your book um obviously love the ted talk as well so Appreciate you coming on to talk today. As I always do, I'm just conscious of time, but I'd love to just finish off with kind of the one thing that you're fearful of, um, three things that you're hopeful for. One thing that I'm fearful of, I suppose the thing I'm fearful of is that, um, you know, over the last um, two or three months, we have really seen um, people becoming much more alert and aware of, of a lot of these issues well-being and health is being talked about a lot more um in in kind of the press and the media um and certainly in the world of architecture i've, I've seen a lot more people really um becoming interested in the topic and starting to think about the impact that our, our homes have on our health and i suppose a fear is that that goes away once this is all over we we have a complete return to normality and um i think that we we, we need to learn lessons from this there's lots that we can learn and lots that we can lots of positives ironically that we can take forward um, so I suppose that's that's both my my fear and probably my first hope. I hope that we do that. Um, I also hope that moving forward, we um, people kind of reassess some of their lifestyle choices. People reassess things like car use. It's been so good to see so many people out on bikes. Um, I'm a huge champion of cycling because obviously you've got the sustainability environment side of things, but you've also um, the huge benefits to both mental health and physical health. We know are enormous. Um, so I hope that we can see that cycling revolution continue. Um, and one more hope, I, I guess, uh, as you, you touched upon Mental Health Awareness Week, it was great that that theme was kindness this year. And I thought that was so fitting. Um, it's something I, I say in a lot of talks that I, I give. But, you know, I, people often ask about, about mental health. And as an employer, what can you, or as a family member, what can you do to look after the mental health of those people working for you, or people you live with, people who might be struggling? And I always say to people, you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to know everything there is to know about mental health. But if you just live your life in a kinder way, try to show empathy and compassion to those people you work with, you live with, then the, the, the knock-on result is that everyone is going to benefit from that. And you will, you'll see an uplift in people's mental health around you as well as your own mental health. So my hope is that people can carry that forward and carry on that message of kindness um, as we go into the rest of this year and hopefully out of lockdown. Yeah, I, that would be one of my strong hopes as well. I think kindness has such a powerful role to play uh, to create a, a better society for all of us, to be honest. Um, and then very lastly, my last question, what is the one thing, I know you've already touched on a few things like cycling and things, um, but what one thing do you do for yourself that's really helped you to stay sane during lockdown? 
Um, so actually, I've really got into drawing again. It was something that I did a lot when I was younger. I did it at school and then st I, I studied an art foundation course before I went to architecture school. Um, but, you know, life just gets gets in the way, doesn't it? And I think, ironically, it's taken lockdown for a lot of us to just stop, take a breath and say, what do I actually care about? What am I passionate about? What do I really enjoy doing? Um, and I've, so I've bought myself a sketchbook that I'm slowly filling with sketches and portraits and I'm really, uh, I've never really drawn portraits and I'm, I always assumed I'd be terrible at it. And I, I wouldn't say terrible, I'm not great, but I'm, I'm getting better. So um, yeah, one of my goals has been to really um, learn how to draw portraits. And, and that has actually been something that I found really rewarding. It's a really nice escape. It's a really good way to, it's almost, a, it's got a meditative quality to it because you really zone in, you focus on all the tiny details and actually you put all the rest of your day to one side. You forget what happened in your work day or whatever and just focus in on that person's face and the marks you're making on the page. So yeah, that's been really helpful for me. Nice. Amazing. Um, I love that as an idea, actually. If you haven't um, read Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, I'm sure you probably have. Um, but in there, she talks about people who were, went into a, uh, I think a, an art retreat being absolutely terrible at drawing portraits and then come out a week later drawing some pretty phenomenal things. So I've got high hopes for your, for your to seeing some of yours in, in art shops soon. Fingers crossed, eh, Nick? Fingers crossed. <laughs> cool. Look, thank you so much, Ben, for joining me today. And uh, look, I hope listeners uh, found it helpful. And look, let's uh, keep the conversation going and keep doing all the great work that you're doing in your space. Great. Thanks. You too, Nick. Cheers. Thank you for joining me on this latest episode of Fear and Hope. I look forward to seeing you next time.